Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead Pastor Mike Wiggins for the message titled, Imitate Me. All right, so the Apostle Paul, if you didn't know, was an absolute amazing man of God. All right, so he was far from perfect. We saw that last week. We saw last week that Paul at times had to work on keeping his anger in check, but you need to know that all in all, Paul was a great role model for us to follow. And so when Paul met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he took off in his faith just like a rocket. And by the time it was all said and done, he had gone on three missionary journeys. He had shared the gospel of Jesus with countless people. He had trained many pastors. He had planted many churches. And he had wrote many letters, the Pauline epistles, which make up one-fourth of our New Testament. Now, scholars believe that it was in A.D. 67 that Paul was martyred for Christ. And so in A.D. 67, he's in a dungeon in Rome. And he can hear the keys jingling, and he sees the door open. He sees the Roman soldier with the axe. And I gotta believe that when that axe came down on the back of the Apostle Paul's neck and he lost his head, that it wasn't long after that that he saw, as we just sang, the face of Jesus shining like the sun, and he heard Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's Paul. Okay, so arguably, not everybody agrees with this, but arguably, outside of Jesus, obviously, the best Christian in the past 2,000 years. And so since Paul lived his life in such an exemplary way, he could boldly say this in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, be imitators of me as I am of who? Christ. Can you imagine being able to say that? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul knew that Christians need good role models. And so in essence, he said, man, I'm gonna take my faith seriously. And I'm gonna follow the Lord so passionately that other people are gonna be able to look at my life and they're gonna say, I can follow that guy as that guy follows Jesus. By the way, how desperately we need good role models today. I mean, come on. And what, are our, what, what, what does our culture do? Our culture looks to the, the movie screen, the concert stage, the sports arena, Washington DC for their role models. But the truth of the matter is, so many of those so-called stars, their lives are a complete and total wreck. Hey, moms and dads, we need to teach our kids who the real role models are. Not those who live as if they're their own God, but those who live to worship and serve the true God. That's the role models, moms, dads, that's the role models you need to tell your kids to follow. And so the apostle Paul was a man that followed Jesus so we could follow him. In our text today, we're gonna look at four ways in which Paul was a great role model. Four things he did that made him a person that we can imitate. And so if you were with us last week, you saw that Paul and Silas, his new partner, they went on their second missionary journey and they went up into the area of Syria and Cilicia. And so by way of review, real quick, we're gonna look at chapter 15, verse 40. And so please look at your Bibles or pull it up on your phone, however you wanna access God's word. 
And so Acts chapter 15, verse 40 says, but Paul chose who? Silas. Silas, okay, so Barnabas went with Mark. They're down at the island of Cyprus, but Paul's going in a different direction with his new partner, Silas. But Paul chose Silas and departed, and having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. In other words, the elders and pastors in the church of Antioch sent Paul and Silas out to do ministry. Again, we see in the word of God another example that ministry needs to be authenticated by the local church. Verse 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Verse one of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derby and to where? To Lystra. All right, so let's take a look at our map so we can get our geographical bearings this afternoon. And so there's Paul and Silas now, and they're in their home church, the healthy, vibrant church of Antioch of Syria. And so um, if you see Syria on the right side of your screen, please say amen. Just go up a couple cities, and there's Antioch. By the way, right now, that place is a mess. We gotta pray for peace in the Middle East. But nonetheless, 2,000 years ago, the elders and pastors send out Paul and Silas. They strengthen the churches in northern Syria, and then they hang a left into the Tan area and go now into Cilicia. They're continuing to strengthen churches there, and then they get to the two cities of Derby and Lystra. Derby and Lystra. If you remember from Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas planted churches in the city of Derby and in the city of Lystra. Now, question. I'm gonna see how well you guys have been paying attention. You can answer out loud. What terrible thing happened to the Apostle Paul in Lystra? Do you remember? He was stoned. He was stoned. And yet, he returned there. <laughs> that leads you to your first point. If you're taking notes, you want to engage with the message today, your first villain is that Paul faced his fears. Paul faced his fears. He didn't run from his fears. He faced them. Now, as Paul and Silas were planning the second missionary journey, Paul could have said, hey, Silas, I know you don't know this, but the last time I was in Lystra, they tried to kill me. I mean, they took rocks and started throwing them at me. One of them knocked me out. They thought I was dead. They left me for dead. So Silas, what do you say we skip Lystra? <laughs> you go around Lystra, go to the next town. Paul could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, Paul faced his fear and he went straight back into Lystra, which by the way, led to a great blessing in his life. Did you guys know that if Paul would have skipped Lystra, he would have missed spending time with a young man who would become a huge blessing to him and his ministry? You say, who's that? Look at chapter 16, verse one again. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named who? Timothy. 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 And so, because, I want you to get this principle because it can be applied to your life. Because Paul faced his fear and said, I don't care what they did in Lystra to me back whatever, how many years ago, I'm going back there. Because he faced his fear, went back to Lystra, he was able to spend time with a young man who was gonna be a huge blessing to him and his ministry. You know, I just wonder. I wonder what blessings you may be missing out on 
because you're afraid to go back to Lystra. I wonder what person you're not meeting, what person you're not spending time with, what blessing you're missing because you're allowing fear in whatever area in your life to paralyze you from moving forward in your faith. A, a, a verse that I memorized, I think, 30 years ago was 2 Timothy 1.7. This, this, this verse has been such a blessing to me over these decades. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And so the next time fear tries to stop you from moving forward in God's will, remind yourself of 2 Timothy 1.7, which says that God does not give us fear. All right, and so think through this with me. If God does not give us fear, where does fear come from? Right, the enemy. If God does not give us fear, he, he doesn't give his children fear. Can you imagine as a mom and dad, if you had the ability to, to make your kids afraid? Does any parent wanna make their kids afraid? No, right, God doesn't give us fear. So where does it come from? One of two places, either from our enemy or from our flesh, our fallen sin nature. And so Satan is gonna try to use fear in your life and Satan's gonna try to use fear in my life to stop us, paralyze us from moving forward in the, in, in the will of God. And that's why God says one of the most repeated admonitions in the scriptures over and over, Old Testament, New Testament, fear not, fear not, <laughs> do not be afraid. And so the next time, it's not if, but when, you experience fear, I want you to memorize this verse, okay? And I want you to quote it out loud. Because how many of you guys believe that, that, that the enemy cannot stand the word of God? It's just like, ah, he can't, he can't handle it. All right, and so quote it out loud and then pray something like this. Say, Lord, please help me to face my fear. And as I'm moving forward, <clears throat> Lord, would you please give me your power? Would you give me your love? Would you give me your self-control? Help me not to be under the control of fear, but help me be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And if you guys and if I will face our fears and move forward in faith, we can experience the life that God has for us. But the opposite of that is if we allow fear to paralyze us, we are gonna miss the amazing abundant life that God has for us. All right, so look at verse one again. Paul came also to Derby, and yea, Paul, to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of what kind of a woman? Look at this, a Jewish woman who was a believer. All right, and so what most likely happened is that as Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, they led Timothy and his mom Eunice and his grandma Lois to the Lord. Now Paul and Silas are coming back to visit on this second missionary journey. And so he was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer in Christ, but Timothy's dad was a who? A Greek. Now, does it say he was a believer? No. So it looks like, apparently, Timothy had a dad who was lost. Verse two. And he, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and so apparently this kid's been growing in his faith since he was led to the Lord by Paul during the first missionary journey and he's getting a good reputation. Verse three, Paul wanted Timothy 
to accompany him. All right, let's just stop right there and take all this in. If you know anything about the New Testament, as you read the Pauline epistles, the letters of Paul, you know that Timothy, man, Timothy became Paul's protege. Paul took Timothy under his wing. Paul poured his life into Timothy, which leads you to your second fill-in, and that is that Paul discipled others. Paul discipled others. All right, so let's regroup. What are we doing this morning? What we're doing this morning is we're thinking about Paul, who said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And as we're exegeting the text, we're taking meaning out of the text, we're pulling out four ways in which Paul was a great role model so that we can imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And so number one, he faced his fear. You and I need to face our fears. Number two, he discipled others. Guess what? You and I need to disciple others as well. For the rest of Paul's life, he takes Timothy under his wing. He disciples this young man. The results are phenomenal. Timothy becomes Paul's son in the faith. He becomes his apprentice. He becomes his coworker. He becomes his kind of um, go-to guy. And Paul loved Timothy. Look at what he said a decade later. All right, so right now we're in AD 50. So we're in Acts 16, right around AD 50. Paul's gonna write to the church of Philippi around AD 62. All right, so 10, 12 years later, he says this about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, Church of Philippi, for I have no one like him who will be, look at this, genuinely concerned for your welfare. <laughs> for they, all these so-called ministers, they all seek their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. Do you see what's happening in Timothy's life? He is actually concerned for other people more than he's concerned for himself. We live in a culture where people say, it's all about me, myself, and I. It's all about my little selfie. It's my little life. Everything revolves around me. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get happy. I'm gonna get happiness. And the way I'm gonna get happiness is I am going to try to get selfish and bring all these things to myself, making myself happy. And their tank, ladies and gentlemen, in their hearts never fills up because you can never fill your own tank up with selfish pursuits. It is only when you and I learn the lesson that it's not about us, it's about Christ, number one, others, number two, and ourselves last, that Jesus fills our tank to overflowing so that we can minister to other people. That's Christianity. It's not about us. It's about him, and it's about others. And man, Timothy got it. We're so proud of this young man. He was genuinely concerned for other people's welfare, not like those other guys who were concerned about themselves. And then Paul goes on to say, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And so Paul has been pouring his life into Timothy now for 12 years off and on. He's gonna totally pour his life in 17 years because Paul loses his head in AD 67. And so this is now 10 or, 12 into, 10 or 12 years into his relationship with Timothy. He's pouring into discipling this young man. And what happens? This kid gets it. 
He understands that it's not about me and my selfish pursuits, it's about serving others in Christ. And he becomes eventually a pastor. He becomes the pastor of the church of Ephesus and Timothy has a very fruitful ministry. It's been said that everyone, this is your next fill-in, everyone should have a Paul, a Silas, and a Timothy. Now, some of you guys grew up in Sunday school, and you learned that everybody should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. But Barnabas is now on the island of Cyprus. This is the second missionary journey. Paul has a new partner, and so I took the liberty of changing it. Hope you don't mind. That every Christian should have a Paul, a Silas, and a Timothy. And so what does that mean? That means that everybody should have, every Christian should have a Paul. Every Christian should have someone who's more spiritually mature than you are, who's already been there and done that, who can take you under their wing spiritually and pour into your life. Does that make sense, yes or no? Okay, and everybody should have a Silas. Every Christian should have a Silas. That means you should have a buddy. You should have a friend who loves the Lord, who you can hang out with and do ministry with. And then every Christian should have a Timothy in their life if you've grown spiritually to the point where you can have a Timothy. So every Christian should have a Timothy in their life, someone that you can take under your wing and you can pour into to watch that person grow because we've seen the result of Paul discipling Timothy. It was phenomenal. This works. And so here's what I wanna say, that these three relationships don't have to just be three people. They can be multiple people. You might have two Pauls, you might have 10 Siluses, and you may have one Timothy. So, so it's, it's, it's up to the Lord, and, and that leads me to my next uh, point here, and that is that these relationships cannot be forced or coerced. Please hear me. These relationships have to be the result of the Holy Spirit working and putting people and relationships together, okay? And they form over time in the context of a relationship. I don't think you should go up to someone and say, will you be my Paul? <laughs> right, or will you be my Silas because I have no friends in my life, right? Or, or um, you know, um, I'm so spiritual, I'll be your Paul <laughs> and you be my Timothy as I pat you on your head. No, no, we shouldn't do that. What we should do is rely on the Holy Spirit to put these relationships together in his time and his way. So ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have a Paul, you don't have a Silas, and you don't have a Timothy, one of the best ways, if you're with me, say amen here. It's gonna convict some, some people. But the one, one of the best ways to discover who these people are is to join a life group. Start getting into relationships. Yeah, we ought to thank God for Pastor Mike Lawrence and for his team and for all of our groups here at Calvary. Did you guys know there's a difference between churchianity and Christianity? You know what churchianity is, right? Oh, I go to church two, three times a week. I sit in a row. I watch a performance. By the way, they watch a speech. I can't tell you how many times people say after the service, great speech, pastor. And I'm thinking, I'm not a politician, number one. Number two, I'm a pastor, and I'm teaching the word of God, and I really want to see not, it's, 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 who, who cares how good 
I do. What matters is that all of us receive these truths in our hearts and we live them out for the Lord. That's what matters. So churchianity, churchianity is I'll come and I'll sit in a row, I'll watch a performance and I'll leave and I'll see you maybe next week if I feel like it or if it's not raining. But Christianity is I'm gonna be a giver and not a taker. So yes, I'll come in and I'll be fed the word of God because I need the word of God. But then you know what else I'm gonna do? I'm gonna connect in a life group. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna grow in my own personal walk with the Lord and I'm gonna invest by serving and giving. See, that's the difference. Now we go to verse three. It says that Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and so he took him, ooh, ooh, and he, what happened? He circumcised this young man. Okay, so obviously he's of age now. He's leaving home. We don't know what happened to his, his Greek dad. Maybe he passed away. Maybe he's just, you know, not in the picture right now. But anyway, Timothy goes with Paul, leaves Eunice, his mom, and Paul circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they, the Jews, the religious Jews, all knew that his father was a what? Greek. A Greek. And so verse four, as they, Paul, Silas, Timothy, went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the, uh, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem Council, chapter 15. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. And so Paul, Silas, and now Timothy are going from city to city, church to church, and they're delivering to these churches the decisions from the mother church, so to speak, the decisions of the Jerusalem Council, which I think we studied two weeks ago in chapter 15. And if you are with us, you know that the most important decision of the Jerusalem Council was that you are not saved by circumcision and keeping the law of Moses. Salvation has nothing to do with rites, rituals, or works. No, God cleanses, Peter said, our hearts by faith. And so salvation, some of you guys are, here he goes again, I'm gonna say it again. Salvation's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's the major decision of the Jerusalem Council. And this is what they're sharing with these churches. And the churches are being strengthened because of that. Now, I'll throw a question at you. If the Jerusalem Council says we're not saved by circumcision, right? Because you remember the, the legalistic Jews were trying to get Gentiles to be circumcised? And so if we're not saved by circumcision, why does Paul circumcise Timothy here in verse three. Well, he didn't do it for Timothy's salvation, I guarantee that. He did it for his success in the ministry. And so stay with me as we go a little bit deeper in the scriptures to try to figure out what's happening here. Timothy's father was a Greek. His mother, Eunice, was a devout Jew. And 2 Timothy 3.15, says that Timothy's mom raised her little boy on the scriptures. By the way, moms, the best thing you can do for your kid is raise them on the word of God. And I so appreciate, as I look out and see some of you moms, I know you're doing that. You're sharing the word of God with your sons and with your daughters. That's what Eunice did. And so Timothy was raised in the Jewish 
um, Bible, learning the Jewish Bible. Again, that's 2 Timothy 3.15. But he had a Greek dad who was not a believer who would not allow him to be circumcised. You say, how do you know that for sure? Well, it's easy. If his mom is a devout Jew and she's raising him in what we call the Old Testament from the time he's a little kid, you think mom I'm talking about before Paul shows up in the first missionary journey, before she even hears about Jesus, she's raising young Timothy on the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. Do you think mom wants to circumcise her, her son? Of course, but he's not circumcised, why? Well, who's the only one who has authority over mom in the home? Dad, the Greek, who's an unbeliever. And so here's what's going on in, your, in, in the scriptures here, that even though Timothy was raised on the Jewish Bible. His Greek dad wouldn't allow him to be circumcised, and any Jew, religious Jew in the area knew his dad was a Greek, and if they found out that Timothy was not circumcised, they would believe that he was an apostate Jew. Say, so what does that mean? That he's lapsed in his faith, that you know, he's apathetic towards his Jewish heritage. He's apathetic towards the Jewish faith. And so Paul looks at Timothy. And he thinks, you know, if I don't circumcise this young man, the religious Jews that we're trying to win to Jesus, they're not even gonna listen to him. So he looks at Timothy and he says, young man, it's time to take one for the team. <laughs> and Timothy's like, eyes are probably like saucers, right? But Timothy decided, I'm gonna live by the law of love. I'm gonna make this concession in my life so that, again, not so I can be saved, but so I can be a success in my ministry. By the way, quick side note, I wish I had more time to get into it, but I don't. But in Galatians chapter two, Paul has another coworker. He's a full Gentile. His name is Titus. And Paul refused to circumcise Titus. You know why? Because he's a full Gentile. His dad's a Gentile, his mom's a Gentile. And Paul knew that if I circumcise Titus, the legalistic Jews are gonna say, look, Paul's given in. He's circumcising because it takes circumcision to be saved. Does this all make sense to you guys? All right, so that's what's happening now in our Bibles, and we turn now to verse six, and we keep plugging along. All right, so it says, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. So we're still on the second missionary journey, and we're heading west. Look at this. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Can't go to Asia. Now, if you're new to the Bible, that's not China or the Far East. That's Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Verse seven, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, way up on the Black Sea. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And um, it says, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, Paul gets up the next morning. It says, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, I'll come back to that, sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. All right, so let's take a look at our map, get our bearings once again. Paul, Silas, and Timothy continue heading west. Now, they want to go down to the cities in Asia Minor. By the way, the cities in Asia Minor include the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. They want to go down there. This is around AD 50. 
There are no churches in these areas yet. And yet the Holy Spirit says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not time yet. Now we know that Paul in chapter 19 of Acts is gonna go to Ephesus, one of those churches in Asia Minor, but it's not time right now in AD 50. Ladies and gentlemen, how many of you guys believe that God is sovereign over salvation? Right, and so there's this thing called timing that we have to listen to the voice of the Spirit. And I'll come back to that a little later. And so you can't go down to Asia. Okay, we're gonna go way up to Bithynia. If you see Bithynia at the top of your screen, say amen. Right, the Black Sea up there and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus says no. All right, all right, well, only way to go. We're not gonna go backwards. We're gonna go keep going west. So they go all the way till they can't go anymore. And now they're at the beautiful Aegean Sea in the city of Troas. And Paul has a vision, a Macedonia man. Come on over and help us. And so he figured out the Lord's leading us to Macedonia. Now, where's Macedonia? It's Greece. So right here, right now in our Bibles, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about to go to Europe. And so everybody look at verse um, 11 now, verse 11. It says, so setting sail from Troas, what's the next word? Everybody shout it out. We, do you see that? Is everybody looking at verse 11? So setting sail from Troas, what's the next word? We. We. What do you mean we? Why not they? Because the author of Acts, his name is Luke, he's a doctor and a physician, has now joined the missionary team here in verse 11 in Troas. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, it's an island, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city for some days. All right, so one more look at our map. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke. They left Troas, they set sail northwest all the way to the island of Samothrace. They spent the night on the island because you can't sail in the dark. Right? And then the next morning they get up and they sail northwest all the way to the port city of Neapolis. If you guys see Neapolis, say amen. By the way, it only takes them two days, so the wind's at their back. The Holy Spirit's kind of in this. I want the gospel to go to Europe, right? So they get to Neapolis, they dock, they either jump on donkeys or camels or they walk 10 miles up to the famous city of Philippi. Now, I said all that to say this that Paul, on this second missionary journey, he could have gone his own way and he could have done his own thing. He could have gone into the cities of Asia Minor, even though that wasn't time, it wasn't time to do that yet. He could have gone up into Bithynia, but it wasn't time for that yet. And who knows how many dangers and obstacles and pitfalls that God protected Paul and his missionary team by not allowing at that time for them to go to Asia or for them to go to Bithynia. And so what happened? Paul, he didn't follow his own way. He followed the way of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit took the gospel to Europe and the rest is history. And so if you're taking notes, your next point, Paul followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. Man, I wish, I wish some people would just get this point. But people come and they sit in church services week after week after week and they never get this. And they go their own way and they do their own thing. And they end up 
falling into pitfalls and obstacles and problems and issues. Ladies and gentlemen, there's two types of Christians. There's carnal Christians who go their own way and do their own thing, and they experience a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, needlessly. And then there's spirit-filled Christians who follow God's way and do what God says. And there's still suffering and there's still storms, but the good thing is God's all over it. I already told you before, two types of Christians, those who name it and claim it, this is what I want, and God, I want you to bless it. And God's like, whatever. Or there's those, 1 John 5, 14 and 15, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us and answers us. And when we find out what the Holy Spirit is doing and we follow the Holy Spirit, there's blessing, there's provision. Do you guys get this? Last July, our, our students went down to El Salvador on a short-term missions trip. And so a handful of students and then adult leaders, uh, Pastor Andrew, his wife Katie, Pastor Matt Messiano. Uh, pastor Andrew is our student pastor. Pastor Matt Messiano is our missions outreach and um, care pastor. And my wife, if you didn't know, Stacy, uh, assists Pastor Matt in that ministry. And also John Palumbo, one of our elders, were the adult leaders. And they went down to El Salvador uh, to support the ministry of Pastor Jorge Bustamante and Calvary Chapel uh, um, Sunsal. And so while they were there, uh, Pastor Jorge had them do this really cool faith walk exercise. And what happened is they, they first of all, they, they split the kids up into pairs. And they blindfolded one student, and the other student, or, the other student or adult leader was a guide. And they began to walk down this dirt road that was filled with obstacles, all right? So there's mud puddles, there's rocks, there's trees, there's bushes, there's fences, there's bob wire, there's dogs, right? And so imagine if you're blindfolded and you have your guide and you're walking down this. Now, if you're gonna avoid the obstacles and the pitfalls, what do you have to do? You have to trust your guide. You have to ask for direction. You have to listen very closely and follow their lead. Now there's one blindfolded person who was part of this exercise who will remain anonymous. His initials are AS. He came out today on a dinosaur, by the way. And he was blindfolded and he got ahead of his guide. He decided, hey, hey, uh, Rachel, follow me, right? He's blindfolded and he starts running and he ran right to a wall, and then later he ran right to a cactus. And he showed me today the scar that he has. And by the way, I called Andrew, I said, can I have your permission to share this? And he said, sure, go ahead. So uh, he, he took one for the team as well today. Uh, but hey, the life lesson's simple, right? Man, if, if, if we're in life, just like that blindfolded person on this faith walk had to make sure that they're listening to the voice of their guide and trusting the voice of their guide. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to get to that place in our lives with the Holy Spirit. He wants to be our guide. He knows what's best. And so how many of you guys believe that God has an amazing plan for our lives? He does. But if we don't listen to the Holy Spirit or trust the Holy Spirit or keep asking for his direction, we're gonna run into some cactuses in life and we're gonna get hurt. So listen to the word of God. God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, 
to give you a future and a hope. That's our God. And some people say, well, that was written to Israel. True, one interpretation, but many applications. And we can apply that to our lives and we can see the heart of God for us that, ladies and gentlemen, God has an amazing plan for you and your life to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. But the thing is, is is we got to learn to follow the leading of the Spirit of God every single day. We gotta trust him that he has our best interests in mind. And we have to ask him for his direction in prayer. And then we gotta follow his directions. They're right here. He's preserved this now for thousands of years. It is here, 2019. All we gotta do is open it up and start to read it and and receive the instruction manual for life right here. So that's, that's the question is, will you follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and accomplish God's will for your life? And so now we pick it up in verse 13. We got the last few verses here. It says that on, on the Sabbath day, we went, so Luke's still with them in Philippi. So on the Sabbath day, verse 13, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and, I love this about Paul, spoke to the women who had come together. So they're sharing Jesus. Verse 14, and one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. So she's a a prosperous businesswoman. And she was a worshiper of God. So she's a Gentile, not a full Jewish proselyte, but she believes and worships the God of Israel, the true God. And I love verse 14. It says that the Lord opened her heart. I love that. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, so she became a believer in Christ, And after she was baptized, her household, and and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so whenever Paul would enter into a new town, you guys know this by now, what's the first place that he would look for whenever he went to a new town? Synagogue. But apparently there's no synagogue in Philippi. And so what does he do? He hears through the grapevine that the Jews are praying on the Sabbath down by the river. So he and his team go down by the river and they engage in conversation with some women. And as they're in conversation, the door is open, the Holy Spirit's moving, and they share Jesus. And that leads you to your last feeling as we imitate Paul, as he imitates Christ. Paul shared the good news of Christ's salvation. He shared the good news. Listen, nothing's more important than this right here. How many of you guys believe that there really is a heaven, there really is a hell? (laughs) Right? And by the way, more and more Christians every day are now deciding, I don't believe in hell anymore. May we never move away from the true gospel and what the book, the, 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 the Bible says. And so Paul shared the good news of Christ's salvation. And as he's sharing Jesus and Jesus' salvation, what happens? The Lord opens the heart of Lydia and she puts her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you guys know that the first convert to Christianity in Europe was a woman? 
and her name is Lydia. And so she trusts Christ, and then she follows the Lord in baptism. Did you see that? Once again, in the Bible, there's your, there's your order, ladies and gentlemen. First, you believe in Christ. Then you're baptized. That's what the Bible teaches over and over and over. And her household is also uh, baptized as well, and she invites the team to stay in her home, and she graciously shows them hospitality. Now, as we seek to share the good news of Jesus with other people. There's two things that we gotta remember. If you're with me, say amen here. Okay, so listen, listen. There's two things we gotta remember. Number one, we need to be led by the Spirit. And number two, we gotta make sure that we know that only God can save. All right, and so we have to be led by the Spirit. What does that mean? Asia? No, not yet. Bithynia? No. <laughs> Not yet. Greece? Yeah, Greece. Again, how many of you guys believe God's sovereign over salvation? How many of you guys believe that no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws them? How many of you guys believe that there's a pre-evangelism work that the Holy Spirit does in people's hearts? And so here's what we cannot do. We cannot you know, force the gospel down people's throats who are not even ready for it. Here's an idea, just get to know them. Here's an idea, share the fruit of the Spirit with them. Here's an idea, serve them. Here's an idea, live the life in front of them for a little while. And then you'll know as you're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you'll know when that time is. The door will be open and it's showtime. <laughs> and at that time, you gotta be ready to share your testimony and how Jesus saved you. And so remember to be led by the Holy Spirit of God and then also remember Hey, only God can save. In verse 14, it says that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia so that she could pay attention to what Paul was saying and she, she placed her faith in Christ. And so you say, okay, pastor, what's my part then? What do I do? Well, Paul told us in his letter to the church of Corinth. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the growth? God. Do you see that? And so we do our part and we trust God to do his part. Just like a farmer can plant a seed, and just like a farmer can water that seed, you tell me, you can answer out loud, can that farmer give life to the seed? No, can he germinate the seed? Can he cause that seed to grow and become a beautiful bush? No, all he can do is plant it, and all he can do is water it. And so what's our job? We're to plant spiritual seeds. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we're to share the seed, we're to share the word, we're to share the gospel, we're to share our testimony. And then we trust the Lord to do what only he can do, and that is save souls. And so we do our part, and we trust him to do his part. Does that make sense to you guys? And so in closing, Paul says, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. So what did Paul do that set him apart as somebody that we can imitate? Number one, he faced his fear, all right? And so listen, stay with me here because I want you to do spiritual inventory. Again, this is not a nice speech. Really want you to think about what's going on in your heart and your life concerning this. And so Paul faced his fears. Are you facing your fears in life? Or is this like this Lystra 
and you don't wanna go do what you know God wants you to do, I encourage you to move forward in faith. And then number two, he discipled others. Churchianity is not Christianity. We can't just come sit twice a month and think that we're Christians or that we're living as Christians. What we have to do is we gotta get involved by connecting and, and growing and investing and, and discipling and sharing with others. Be givers and not takers. And then he followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so before you just go your own way and go down to Asia and get hurt or Bithynia and get hurt, make sure that you're following the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then finally, Paul shared the good news of Christ's salvation. And so pray for open doors and when God opens that door, man, share Jesus because he is the best news that the world could ever receive. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.